0: Welcome to American Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Cole McNeely. Coming up, we'll take a quick look at one of the top stories from TheCenterSquare.com. And later, executive editor of The Center Square, Dan McCaleb, and DC reporter Casey Harper will take a deeper dive into some of the top stories of the week. Coming up right after this on American Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com.
1: Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential information with a taxpayer's sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. The
0: President Joe Biden is kicking off his second year in office with his highest disapproval rating to date. A new CNBC change research poll found 56% of voters disapprove of Biden's job as president, the worst disapproval rating the president has seen since taking office. The economy and COVID-19 are major factors in voters' sentiments, with 60% disapproving of Biden's job in the economy and 55% disapproving of his work on COVID-19. Biden had previously seen poor economic numbers but better approval numbers on his handling of the pandemic. To read more about these stories and many others, visit thecentersquare.com. Now for a closer look, it's Dan McCaleb and Casey Harper.
1: Thank you, Cole, and welcome back to America in Focus, powered by the Center Square. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire service. Joining me again today is Casey Harper, the Center Square's Washington, DC bureau chief. Casey, we're recording this on Friday, January 7th. It is the first American Focus podcast of 2022. Happy New Year, Casey.
2: Happy New Year, Dan. How's it going?
1: It's going going well. I hope 2022 is better for all of us than 2021 um, was. We've still got uh, COVID-19. Imagine that in our third year of the uh, pandemic. Of course, the uh, Omicron variant is... uh, reaping its ugly head across the country,
2: but yeah aren't we, the, we're on three years to flatten the curve. Is that right? <laughs>
1: that's, that's right. The good news <laughs> is, um, uh, Omicron is not as, uh, um, as serious as other uh, variants of the virus. It's while people are getting it in droves, including uh, many on the Center Square staff, um, it doesn't uh, the symptoms aren't uh, near as severe as, as other variants. So that is one good thing. But Casey, as I said, we're recording this on Friday, January 7th. In about an hour, an hour from when mm-hmm. we're recording this, um, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to hear arguments uh, uh, on challenges to two of uh, President Biden's vaccine mandates, including right. um, the OSHA uh, mandate on private sector businesses with 100 or more employees. This is a big day. Very big um, day. But it, it, we don't expect a ruling today from the Supreme Court. Right, but right might get some indication based on their questioning um, of both the federal government and the uh, plaintiff's attorneys who brought the cases, multiple dozens of cases, challenging um, uh, uh, the president's authority to ha- issue these vaccine mandates. We, we hope to get some indication anyway. Well, first, why don't you just tell us about um, what the Supreme Court is gonna hear, what are the arguments on both sides? Uh, give us a little background.
2: Sure, yeah, and I, I would just echo what you said first, that. Uh, even though there's not going to be a very likely not going to be any kind of ruling today, you do get a good indication of where people are, are leaning, where the justices are leaning based on uh, what kind of questions they ask, how tough the questions they ask are. Um, and that's important also because, you know, these rulings from the Supreme court are not always a yes or no, good or bad. They're often nuanced. They're often limited. They sometimes will address half the question and not the other part of the question. And so, you know it's very possible they could say uh well it's a the, it needs to do this or it needs to be sent back here or so it could be a more complex nuanced answer other, rather than just the mandates are good or the mandates are, are bad and so you kind of get a sense of where the justices are leaning um and all that but um what what this is kind of a a good old-fashioned uh the role of federal government uh supreme court case uh essentially you know, as cases uh, rose of COVID, um, the Biden administration has implemented several new federal vaccine mandates. Um, now, Biden has taken a lot of criticism for that because he he explicitly said he didn't want to do that. He wouldn't do that. Um, Jen Psaki, White House press secretary, said um, in the middle of last year that the White House wouldn't do that. And, uh, you know, Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said that they didn't have the authority to do that. And uh, here we are doing it. So, you know, they've taken some pushback for some of their previous comments and the, there's not just one big bad federal mandate. So, uh, of course there is the, the Department of Defense has a mandate for US uh, service members. So they have to be vaccinated. Although there's a legal challenge to that as well that we probably will talk about a little bit later. Um, there was a mandate for healthcare workers that mandate uh, that Biden instituted. There is a mandate uh, for employers, or if, uh, for large businesses. So, any employer who has at least a hundred workers um, under one of Biden's mandates is required to ensure that they're vaccinated, or face like very, very large fines uh, per day if they refuse. I mean, kind of the kind of fines that could put you out of business if you stand up to it. So, you know, there's a swirl of mandates. Uh, there, there's simultaneously been a swirl of lawsuits from states. And so there's not even one coordinated effort or one single challenger to buy mandates. There's several different coalitions of groups and states that have challenged these mandates at different levels. And they've been working their way through the court system. And now they're, you know, uh, they're before the Supreme Court. And uh, I do think we can expect a maybe an expedited ruling because these mandate, another round of mandates is set to go into effect this month but uh, which I really, I don't know, you know, no, no one has the crystal ball to know which way the justices are going to go.
1: Right, and, and my understanding is today the Supreme Court's going to hear arguments in two of those vaccine mandates. One, the biggest one, um, is the one that would affect, I think it's upwards of 80 million American workers who work for right. companies, um, as you said, um, that have a hundred or more employees Um, That's one of one. The other one is the healthcare one, anyone who works for a company that gets Medicaid or Medicare dollars. So those are two of the arguments that are going to be presented um, today. But the Supreme Court's decisions on these two mandates likely you are going to carry over, I would think, to all of the other mandates. One that you didn't mention is the one on federal contractors. Anyone who has a contract with the federal right. government, um, uh, they're, rec- they're required to have um, uh, 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 their workers um, vaccinated. Another lawsuit that was filed this week in, in relation to that one was remote workers. You know, not everyone uh, who has a contract with the federal government, you has to be, you know, it's not necessarily a, a construction job where you have to be hands on. Uh, there's plenty mm-hmm. of behind the scenes stuff and, and remote workers who, 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 d- who never set foot in, the, in an office building, um, who work from their homes. They're challenging that mandate too, but let's focus strictly on this private sector, um, in, in, uh, mandate on, on businesses with a hundred more workers. that's set to go into effect February 9th. Of course, uh, corporations, companies uh, that fall under this mandate, they only have a few weeks uh, to, to implement it. So I, I would hope that the Supreme Court understands the urgency of this and does issue a decision, an a decision, so these companies ne- can decide whether or not they need to move forward um, and get their workers mandated, or uh, the other part of that is, um, if their workers won't get m- mandated, uh, vaccinated, they need to uh, submit to weekly testing and show a negative test in order to show up for work. That's a huge undertaking Oh, uh, definitely for, for human resources departments across the country, etc., or whatever. So I, I would think the Supreme Court, and, and as you said, you, you, the Supreme Court doesn't always just rule on everything that's involved in a case. They might send a case back. Um, to an appeals to an appellate court or to a district court and ask for uh, further arguments there. So who knows? But with that February 9th date looming, um, don't you think that, 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 that they understand that they need to, to make some sort of a decision soon?
2: Yeah, I think, I think they do. Um, what we could see, I, this is what I think is most likely, I mean, again, who, who really knows, but is they could issue a preliminary injunction. And so they could say, hey, this mandate can't go into effect until we make our decision. And so it kind of just pauses the whole thing. The courts to do this pretty often um, when there's a deadline. They'll just say issue a an injunction that says um, the mandate the deadline is delayed until we issue a ruling. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that come out pretty quick. Um, and because the court often likes to you know err on the side of having more time, so it may be that they do this injunction and don't actually issue a real ruling for a while. Um, I still think they'll do a a quicker ruling, you know, we won't have to wait till May or June. Um, But this is a pretty controversial issue. It has huge precedent. Um, The pandemic, you know, pandemic rights are kind of a, I think one of the leading controversial issues and the court hasn't really weighed in on them. It's a lot of new territory, the idea of um, individual rights versus the collective health. (laughs) And so it's a good question, but I think the injunction is a is a very likely next step. It,
1: it, 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 and granted, this is a complex um, topic. Certainly, there, you know, the, the Biden administration and governors across the state have declared public health emergencies um, because of the pandemic. But it's but doesn't this really come down to the, the 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 core issue? Is does the executive branch of the federal government, essentially President Joe Biden, have the constitutional authority? To issue this to issue such a, a, a mandate that's so personal that that you know involves individuals um, health care decisions mm-hmm. does the one person the executive uh branch of government have the authority without congressional approval um to, to issue such a mandate and of course we have already known the, the the u.s senate um last month you know vote rejected this private sector mandate right with a couple of Democrats joining Republicans uh, uh, in in rejecting it. So uh, really, the constitutional question is how much power during, during a pandemic, during a public health uh, emergency, does the executive branch have?
2: Yeah, that is the question. Um, and, the, you know, the, throughout history, there's always been this question of during, you know, times of quote, unquote, emergency, uh, how much does the power of the executive expand? Um, it's kind of the nature of uh, executive leaders to try to greatly expand their power in times of emergency. But that's what our constitution is for, to, to hold that at bay. Um, I think there's actually a poll on that bill that I think we'll get to here in a moment. But um,
1: we'll go you know, for it. Well, yeah, yeah, let's 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 jump. We in can straight go straight for, yeah, more. I'll go for
2: it. I just wanted to add that it's what's interesting is I think that it's very possible that the Biden administration knows that this is unconstitutional and thinks it was still worth doing, knowing that it will be overturned because in the interim between this getting between their announcement and this getting to the Supreme Court, probably millions of people have been vaccinated, um, you concerned know, about their jobs just right exactly. And uh, on the
1: fence about getting it, but decided to get it worried that they mm-hmm. might lose their jobs because of the president's mandate.
2: Right. And what makes me think that is they, you know, they because they were so clearly saying or last year that it wasn't constitutional. And they did the same thing with the eviction moratorium, which is they they basically knew that it wasn't going to stand up to a legal argument, but they you know issued it anyway, um, knowing that it would get overturned. And so this is kind of a new, interesting tactic from in the Biden administration to do things they know will get tur- overturned by the court, but still wanting the political and maybe just tangible benefits in their mind of doing it. But so that's that's another layer to this. So You might ask yourself why why would they do this, but um, this poll that you know we wrote up this week, it took it took into uh, consideration this very bill in the Senate that you um, explained, Dan, and they basically surveyed Americans and found that fifty one point one percent of uh, voters support the bill to stop Biden's vaccine mandate for large businesses. About forty percent don't support it, and the rest there's always that you know eight percent who are unsure, or don't know what's going on. <laughs> so. Uh, But yeah, a majority supporting the effort to block Biden's mandates. It's a really big deal. Um, It's obviously a big deal for those senators. It's a big deal for Biden, who is, you know, if if Biden did something like this has majority disapproval and then the Supreme Court overturns it, uh, it looks like this story is the number one trending national story on our site right now. You know, there's a lot of interest in this. Um, And then, of course, the all-important independent voters, 62 percent or 63 percent of surveyed independent voters who had an opinion on the question <laughs> said that they support the effort to block the mandates as well. So going into 2022 an election year, these uh mandates are going to be a defining issue and uh, at least for now the looks like voters are are not impressed with the mandates.
1: Right? And and, and so Biden has suffered a number of losses in courts already, but ultimately it's going to be the US Supreme Court that decides the fate of all of these mandates, um, including and in especially today, the the this private sector mandate. One of the arguments against this mandate is the slippery slippery slope uh, uh, argument. Right? If 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 That's the right. U.S. Supreme Court says the president has these broad powers um, during a public health emergency such as COVID, um, to to essentially order individual Americans to get a vaccine or to lose participation in large parts of society, then what else, what other powers does the executive Mm -hmm. branch, does does the president have? What could be next when it comes to individual liberties, um, uh, individuals' personal freedoms? Um, So yet to say this is an historic case uh, and the decision um, uh, is is a major news story is is really, sort of underplaying the story because of how significant it is.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we've seen moments like this in history where the the Constitution has been tested, uh, where individual the bounds of individual freedom have been kind of examined, and it is a tough question. It's not a simple question either. Obviously, people's lives, you know, people are afraid. Um, there's a lot of people concerned about their lives, but um, the health of their loved ones. So I, I think uh, this is it's reminiscent of, of different major cases that we've seen throughout history. But uh, I think you're absolutely right that there's this slippery slope, there is the, the precedent. And if if the executive can require um, vaccination and then redefine what vaccination means, I think that's the other slippery slope, this idea of fully vaccinated in
1: right.
2: uh, uh, additional boosters become part of the definition of fully vaccinated can you know can you uh if it then can you do a mask mandate um and make that a federal rule? just at what point does it stop uh what point does what is fully vaccinated really mean and who gets to
1: define that, and, that and, and 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 do the goalposts keep moving about mm-hmm. what fully vaccinated means right right now right. the cdc is saying the fully vaccinated means um uh, the two shots and a booster right and like three months from now is another booster going to be required and then three months mm-hmm. after that or whatever the time frame is six months you know whatever um uh, so is the executive branch essentially going to be able to dictate um how many shots uh, uh individual americans receive uh, over time um so just just a huge case and of course uh, uh, casey's going to be covering it uh, today look for our coverage uh, later today uh, and throughout the weekend at the center square.com. Sticking along the same topic, but a different uh, vaccine mandate. Um, you mentioned um, earlier that uh, one of the vaccine mandates uh, uh, requires all members of the U.S. military, and including state national guardsmen, um, to be vaccinated against COVID to keep their jobs. Uh, well, the Navy SEALs, a, a number of Navy SEALs, filed suit against that mandate, and they, they want a lower court, Uh, ruling er earlier this week. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, we discussed earlier uh, in the podcast how the uh, Department of Defense issued a vaccine mandate. And those uh, basically service members who refuse it are facing discharge. Now, uh, last year or late in December, I guess, uh, Congress passed a measure that forbid the military from issuing dishonorable discharges. Um, which are, you know, really tough on, on those who receive them. They, they can't get benefits. It's hard often for them to get jobs. Um, you can't own a firearm. Dishonorable discharge is a really um, serious, serious thing. So this would just be, it would they could be discharged, but not a dishonorable discharge. But still, um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, service members have tried to build a career in the military, and especially Navy SEALs. I mean, it's very difficult to become a Navy SEAL. It takes a lot of years of training. Um, those are kind of more the career guys uh, who have spent a lot of years trying to get to where they are. And there's dozens of them now who are facing discharge from being Navy SEALs um, because they refuse to get the vaccine. And there's not very many Navy SEALs. I mean, there's not like tens of thousands of Navy SEALs. So there's only, you know, we're in the hundreds. um, And,
1: well, it's an exclusive group. I mean, the it's training very exclusive. to become a Navy SEAL. The, the, my understanding is that just the training process takes years, and it the, the physical and mental. Um, it's very
2: expensive for the yeah. government to train them too.
1: Yes. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: No, you're right. It's yeah. It's very expensive for the government to train them. Like you said, it takes a long time, and so you may see oh, only a few dozen, but a few dozen Navy SEALs is actually a lot in the when when you think about it, because right. there's
1: these are the, these are the elite of the right. elite. When it comes to our military members, Mm -hmm. Um, it was the Navy SEALs, remember, that went in and uh, uh, led the operation that got Osama bin Laden. Exactly. Um, So these these are definitely the top one percent of our military members.
2: Yeah, they're kind of like you know, like we we are the Navy SEALs of journalism, Dan. (laughs) Like the top one percent. (laughs) So can you imagine how hard it would be to replace us? Like that is what this is like. What we're talking about here, but. Um, I don't know
1: how to take that, Casey, but uh, yeah. I, think, I think I'm going to let it slide.
2: Okay. Hey, I called you a Navy SEAL. I like thought that's, <laughs> that's good. So they uh, – but they did get a win. So they've been going through the court battle, through the courts like everyone else, um, and their specific question is not before the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court could issue something broad enough to be impactful to them. Um, and so all these Navy SEALs have – they applied for religious exemptions, and they were all denied. And their argument is that they say that they weren't even fairly considered. They would, uh, they, they basically all got, you know, blanket um, denials. You know, religious exemptions are supposed to be taken on a case-by-case basis, evaluated on their merits, on um, an individual level. Uh, but they basically, they're saying that they have got almost like a form letter <laughs> denial. They all got the same exact answer, which they say is like evidence that the, um, that the Navy didn't even take their request seriously and had no intention of ever even considering it um, in the way that they should. And so this, uh, this federal judge issued an injunction, a uh, preliminary injunction, like the ones we were talking about early, earlier, that says the Navy can't take any um, actions against them until the case is decided. And even a lot of the things, you know, I read through the, the court ruling and a lot of things he was saying seemed to indicate that he's leaning in favor of um, the Navy SEALs, you know, he's saying that the real, you know, there's always a, with these religious freedom cases. There's the balance between what is the harm to the organization that is imposing this restriction, and he and he seemed to indicate that the harm on the Navy for uh, for not for these a few guys not getting the vaccine is actually not um, significant enough, probably to outweigh their right to um, abstain from the vaccine. So it's an interesting case. You know, Navy SEALs are uh, obviously very important to our national security. They occupy a place in the American imagination. So they're a very interesting um, place for this battleground to happen. And especially if we're talking about the poll numbers, which are going against Biden right now on this issue. If you're, you know, kicking Navy SEALs um, out because they won't get the vaccine is kind of politically not where you want this to go if you're the Biden administration, right?
1: And let me just to, to clarify one thing. One of the religion religious exemptions that uh, individuals who uh, who are opposed to taking the, this vaccine um, cite is that fetal cell lines cells uh, taken from aborted fetuses um, were used in the testing uh, during research and development of, of these vaccines. and and individuals who are, you know, religiously opposed to abortions. Um, uh, and, and, and that kind of thing uh, say they don't want because of that um, uh, their religion forbids them um, from participating in it and and that's one of the things one of the exemptions that Navy SEALs and others um, have, have used to to explain why they are not going to get vaccinated but in the case of the military um, uh, the the military has just like as you said blanketly um, um, rejected um all of these requests for these exemptions
2: yeah and it's important you know There's sensing this theme of i can just hear someone listening thing saying well that doesn't bother me the testing and uh well the the mandate doesn't bother me so why do we care if the supreme court you know overturns biden's mandates but you know to to the biden supporting listeners or those who support the mandates you have to you know the constitution has to protect the rights of others, even when you don't agree, because you can imagine a scenario where, you know, let's say Trump was still in office and he's trying to enforce some kind of executive mandates on people around COVID. Um, You can imagine that a lot of the people who maybe support it would actually be against it now. And maybe the mandate would be different. But, you know, whether you, if you oppose Biden, you want the constitution to protect you from Biden. And if you oppose Trump, You want the Constitution to be intact to protect you from future Trumps that you don't like. And so you can't throw all the rights out the window when your party is in power because eventually your party is not going to be in power anymore. And the guys who don't have the same interests as you are are going to need to be limited. And so even if you don't agree with this religious exemption or you think that Biden's doing the right thing, um, you want to keep the constitutional protections in check because one day you'll be the minority again and you'll need them to protect you.
1: <clears throat> that, that, that's a good segue, then, into our next story, um, Casey. Uh, Democrats who, who run Congress, uh, who have a majority in the House, they have a 50-50 split, of course, in the, uh, in the U.S. Senate, but with Vice President Kamala Harris's um, uh, tie-breaking vote. She's a Democrat. Uh, the Democrats control both chambers. Um, one of the, and one of the things that, that's been floated in recent weeks is that uh, Democratic leadership wants to oust uh, the filibuster. Which allows um, uh, a minority party to block certain legislation because you need more than a simple majority of votes. Tell us a little bit what's going on with with the filibuster.
2: Yeah, you're right. This is a great segue. Um, Democrats are intent on passing, you know, the bill back better, which is kind of floundered uh, a bit amidst the opposition of Senator Manchin, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, who have balked at supporting it, but. They they also want to po- pass new voting rights legislation, uh, which in light of January 6th, you know, there is getting new mom- no momentum about you know, elections and the fairness. And um, there's also a lot of uh, kind of racial equity talk around this voting rights legislation. But and just to give a quick synopsis, the voting rights legislation would essentially give the federal government broad power over state elections. Um, it would be a far-reaching bill that would give federal power to determine whether state election laws uh, can basically be in effect or not. it would give four states to get a rubber stamp from the federal government on their state election laws. Um, so it's a pretty controversial bill for obvious reasons. You and know, and one
1: specific the- thing that's controversial is, is in the bill is it would forbid states from requiring photo IDs yeah. uh, for people who want to get um, uh, an absentee uh, ballot.
2: Right, right, and then and any any kind of uh, left-leaning election law you can imagine would become the new standard nationwide uh, because these states would have to get approval and um, the, the approvals coming out of DC is going is going to have a certain mind about this about these things but uh, so the Democrats have this agenda they want to get through um, but they're having trouble and so uh, Schumer did something very interesting you know I can read part of his quote but he said if Republicans continue to block our efforts, the Senate will debate and consider changes to Senate rules on or before January 17th, Martin Luther King Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day to protect the foundation of our democracy, free and fair elections. So you can see he's using this language of race around Martin Luther King Jr. and free and fair elections. So this is kind of the messaging they're using. which um, is a little ironic to get rid of to, you know, change the democratic process for passing legislation, <laughs> uh, you know, from for a. Uh, uh, legislators that were legislators that were elected, you know, through democratic elections. But basically, the filibuster, uh, you know, allows um, it, it just requires that the Democrats that you need a bigger majority in the Senate to get things done. And uh, and so far, we've been able to not nuke what's called nuke the filibuster, get rid of it totally. Um, but Schumer is threatening to do it now. He'll need support of all Democrats to do that, though, and. So far Manchin has said that he will not support it, which again, he's holding up kind of the Democratic plan. uh, And he's just saying that if we're gonna do that, we're gonna need Republicans on board. He said that I've heard him say in different interviews that he doesn't wanna do anything to further divide the country, that Democrats, you know, they passed two very large bills last year. Um, It's a very uh, divided time and he doesn't wanna contribute to that.
1: Right, and and of course, you know, uh, Ending the filibuster, has, it, this is not necessarily a new conversation, um, um, but, of course, with the Democrats hold power now. If they were to vote um, to end the filibuster so they could push through, build back better, they could push through their voting act, giving the federal government broad powers to dictate how states should run elections, including preventing states from putting photo photo ID laws in place for things like absentee ballots, If while the Democrats are in power, now um you know we've got a midterm election in in november it's, you know it's still months and months away so who knows but there's a lot of analysts saying it looks like republicans are are going to retake control of the house uh the senate is is more up in the air or whatever but eventually republicans are going to retake control so if the democrats and uh the filibuster now Who's to prevent the Republicans from ending the filibuster in the future? and it's just gonna be a role reversal of the current situation.
2: right. And it's the same thing of you know, you have to protect the rights of the minority because one day you'll be the minority. And so if you're really glad that the Senate didn't you know build a basically build a wall on day one uh, of Trump's administration or that you know he didn't you know shut down every abortion clinic in the country on day one. Ah, uh, that's because the rules of the Senate and you know the different balance of powers prevented that kind of thing, prevented the more aggressive uh, partisan action, or at least delays it. And the same is going to be true. You know, there's going to be a Republican majority in the Senate again, maybe you know this year, and maybe two years from now. Um, and, I, and all the Democrats who are considered—it's just very short-sighted, and I think it'll lead to a lot of uh, back-and-forth swinging because as soon as republicans are back power they can just overturn everything easily um and the founders designed that that you know the legislature to be purposely be deliberative to be slow um to have to take a long time for legislation to be passed because uh you don't want a, a hurriedly pass law <laughs> i mean i think it you know it, it was fa- infamously said not too long ago about we have to pass the bill to see what's in it <laughs> and i don't think americans like that they don't want it to be that way but when you, if you get a, a system where you have two years, uh, where you don't, you barely need a majority to get things passed, it's just going to be a mad dash to shove through everything you can um, before your majority is gone in two years. And it doesn't seem like it's good for the country. Uh, it's better to have to work across the aisle, even though as much as people hate the the painful process of congressional debate and negotiation and politics, you know, it was able to happen on the infrastructure bill. They got, you know, a bipartisan agreement on the infrastructure bill and they got it across the finish line. It took a long time. It was, it took longer than people wanted it to take, but it happened. And so uh, I think that's actually a very uh, timely example of that. This this system does work, even if it can be a little excruciating (laughs) at times.
1: Well, thank you, Casey. Um, we'll be following this story and more at thecentersquare.com. We have run out of time uh, this week. I look forward to seeing, in particular, reporting on uh, today's U.S. Supreme or uh, Supreme Court arguments um, over the uh, Biden's vaccine mandates. This has been the America in Focus podcast. We'll talk to you next week.